0: welcome to the waiting room revolution today we talk with fide rock star biff naked also known as beth allen she's a prominent alternative artist performer and songwriter who has appeared in concerts festivals film and tv around the world she's sung hits like spaceman and i love myself today but she's not only a musician she's also a breast cancer survivor we talk about her life as a rock star and her passion for advocating for hospice volunteering. We caught up with Biff Naked while she was transiting through an airport from one concert show to another, so you might hear some background noise. Enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Xian Xiao.
1: And I'm Sammy Winemaker. We talk to people who have information and tips on how to unlock a better illness experience.
0: The waiting room revolution starts right now. Biff Naked, welcome to our podcast.
2: Hello, I'm just so honored that
1: you guys even asked me. Oh, you know what? I've been wondering why you agreed. I couldn't believe it. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was such a long shot when I contacted you. And when you said yes, we were just really so
2: thrilled. Well, you know, the thing about it is I just, I just never get tired about talking about healthcare, public health. Uh, patient perspectives and uh, and volunteering uh, for whatever reason. I think that I probably missed my calling and went into the performing arts instead of whatever else I should be doing. Um, but I uh, but I'm very happy to talk to you guys. So thank you for reaching out. You know, um, would you? I
1: think you don't mind whether we call you Beth or Biff, right? I heard you say that they on sound, yeah. podcast.
2: <laughs> they sound the same.
1: Yeah. Do you have a preference? Not at all. If they sound the same. It's no problem at all. Okay. Well, I'm going to call you Biff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Biff, you know, I started on social media. I'm a, I'm a palliative care doctor. I'm Samantha Winemaker, Dr. Sammy. And mm-hmm. um, I started a Twitter account about a year ago. And I'm very new to social media. And one day, I you know, you just get noticed people following you here or there, you know, it's sort of exciting when you first start on social media. And then Mm -hmm. I saw Biff Naked followed you, me. And so I thought, wow, I wonder why Biff Naked followed me of all the people in the world. Why would she follow me? Mm -hmm. And uh, I was just so delighted uh, and didn't realize that you had a personal story with a health scare.
2: Well, I suppose that's true, but I have a particular interest, of course, in palliative care. And how I came to that interest was, yes, through being diagnosed as a patient when I was 36, I was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, Dr. Karen Gelman was my rock star oncologist. Mm -hmm. And um, prior to that, I had been uh, performing, I'm going to say like 300 concerts a year for like 18 years straight. So one thing that uh, being thrust into the cancer world, into being a patient um, was I had never been off tour before. So it was a whole new experience for me in that regard, but also suddenly I was around other women Mm -hmm. who were also patients. And uh, I signed up for every clinical trial that I could. And one of which was a uh, trial that was actually supposed to be studying bone density Mm-hmm. And uh, what they were basically, long story short, they wanted to know if uh, exercise during chemotherapy, um, particularly for um, women, my age group, would impact bone density. And uh, so three times a week, I went into a, a room with other patients, and we exercised together. And one of, of course, naturally, bonding, and uh, you know going through the experiences together as a group, as a community. And once I was finished with my chemotherapy and onto radiation, I was out of the program. But because the program was ongoing as a randomized trial that was national, I kept getting asked to come back and meet the rookies that -hmm. would come in. And so then I became a volunteer. And therefore, this was something that kept me connected to the other women and to the program. Unfortunately, some of the women from my program would not fare well on their treatment protocols and they would wind up in hospice care. Mm-hmm. And then I would be asked to go visit them there which is how I became a volunteer in palliative mm-hmm. care and discovered that not only did I have a passion for it but there was such a massive need mm-hmm. for this area of volunteerism um, that I just, I, I can't, couldn't imagine not doing it. And when I moved to Toronto, they were just opening Journey Home Hospice. Mm-hmm. And that's when I discovered uh, Dr. Dasani, Mahi Dasani, and all the work that they had done with Peach. And mm-hmm. uh, that's probably how you got on my radar. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I have to say, I don't do enough of it, uh, because of course, COVID has, uh, the pandemic, thwarted many of the programs mm-hmm. uh, that I was involved in. But I'm happy to say that I'm now able to go back. And now with a little service, who's fantastic with patients. So it's going
0: to be really rewarding. Wow. Thanks for sharing that, Biff. If it's okay, I want to talk a little bit about our movement. You know, we got into this work because we realized that to improve the experience at the end, you have to go to the beginning of the illness journey. And I know you have a lot of experience trying to navigate the healthcare system, both personally with your own breast cancer journey, as well as with your father who passed away from cancer in 2014. So can you tell us a bit about your experience with navigating the system for your dad? Is there anything you wished you knew that could have made it better for you?
2: Oh, certainly. Oh, certainly. And I know it also varies from province to province. One thing about my dad um, that he uh, kind of in, impressed upon his three daughters leaving me being the middle was, he, was a, he had his master's in public health, even though he was a, a dentist. He was a bleeding heart socialist. Uh, but public health was really his passion, and it also became mine. And uh, I found that um, not just in cancer care, but in almost uh, any aspect of palliative care, especially with the families, you know, I learned that as a patient, breast cancer, it, not just the patient goes through it, but the whole family goes through it. Mm. And the same is true for palliative care and hospice care not just the patient, but the entire family, and sometimes the extended family and friends, colleagues, everyone is going to go through it, Mm -hmm. uh, whether they know it or not, whether they're self-aware, whether the patient is aware. Um, There is a movement in Toronto, probably everywhere, but Toronto is the one I'm familiar with. Um, The Home Hospice Association has a program uh, that's basically to become certified as a death doula. And Mm -hmm. I think that it's a I'm sure there's lots of different programs, some of which are you know, um, pretty uh, formal and some which may not be. But I think that the underlying, and that's really, really beneficial to not just the patient but the family is that having a person who is a lay a person uh, that's uh, there for the patient as that appointed liaison sometimes between the family and the professionals which could be intimidating for uh, many of the family members. I mean, you guys know, you live it. Um, but it's just, uh, it's just. There's so many facets uh, that can be, um, you know, made better for everyone involved. That's really, um, it's a challenge, but a really exciting and meaningful challenge uh, that you probably already know. I'm, I'm, to the choir here. Uh, But I think it's just a very, very interesting and remarkable area of practice.
1: If do you think that your journey was any different because of your fame uh, and who you are? I mean, uh, like when you saw all the women around you in the chemo suite, uh, did you feel that it was a unifying experience, whether you were Biff Naked and, and famous or you were another woman in the room? Did it change your journey? Like, is it, is it hard to say whether or not that had an impact on whether or not you got through lines faster or, you know, mm. got treatment earlier or got answers to your questions? Um, did BIF Naked make the breast cancer journey different?
2: You know, I think the best part about it was um, when I was in the, uh, the clinical trial, for example, which is called the start, there was the start trial and the care trial, uh, run out of UBC sports medicine, again with the bone density studies. Um, most of the women that I was in the trial with um, because it was randomized, a volunteer, um, of course, like all trials are, but most of the women were a lot older than me and had they didn't know what I did for a living. Mm-hmm. So and so the playing field was very, very even. And I became like many patients do, I became lifelong friends Mm -hmm. with many of the women with whom I was in the trial, Mm -hmm. uh, two of whom are uh, social workers, one is a police officer, Uh, another lady was a homemaker, two other ladies were artists. I mean, you know, and it was only probably once we were in enmeshed in the program for, I'm gonna say like three months, Mm -hmm. uh, did anyone kind of, I guess, bust me and say, hey, you know, wait a minute, you know, you're that singer. Uh, so I found that that didn't it, it didn't really affect me in the wards per se, and in 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 that aspect. But once I got asked um, to go and do uh, patient visits, and once I got asked to start doing, uh, which I called rookie greeting, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm very chatty. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was uh, I call it the top hat and cane routine. And I'm, I felt very grateful uh, that I was who I was and that I was a performer. I probably wouldn't have been asked to go do these visits had I not been a performer or known to them. And I probably would never have discovered uh, that I loved it and that I loved volunteering and that I loved being in the hospital setting. And that I loved, uh, I loved being in the, uh, in the hospice setting. I never would have had that opportunity probably hmm. um I just so I'm very 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 grateful uh, oh well, that's so interesting
1: because it's not like you're saying oh yeah it got me to the front of the line or I had different choices than other people because I'm famous you're actually saying that it was a uh, Uh, foot in the door through which you were able to be exposed to the world of hospice and palliative care and fall in love with the field so it gave you that advantage but it wasn't a personal advantage for your own illness per se
2: not at all I mean maybe it was and I was not aware of it I don't think so though I think that because it was so um the, the the trial I was in because I had so much time with other patients and we all compared notes of course um we all had really the same experiences uh there are only um there are only a few patients that didn't have uh opportunities say for example for nilasta or or for um other you know gcsf boosters or something like that and it was that was interesting for me because it gave me an introduction into healthcare equity (laughs) and and the big differences that that are that exist in our system and that was something that i wouldn't have discovered had i not been a patient so Mm -hmm. i mean for me i always felt incredibly grateful uh to for having been diagnosed at all and having now have that lived experience as a patient and Mm -hmm. as a volunteer and as a survivor
1: i'm interested to know if when you were diagnosed at the beginning, if you ever thought or were scared that you could die from the breast cancer? Never, really? not
2: once. And there's many women that I talked to, including some of whom I met in the, in the care trial, uh, that it never occurred to them, never, that they would perish from the disease. And I think with me, um, often I think that because of my uh, genetics you know, punk rock mentality. All of us little punk rockers thought, you know, live hard, die young, you know. And that we would always joke around, good looking corpse, ha, ha, ha. You know, it was always this kind of deflecting humor mm-hmm. uh, that was part of a coping technique for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it just never occurred to me uh, at all. It just never occurred to me. And I was always uh, ready for that anyways. Wow. Um, I yeah. wanted to get... Uh, I think that um again, I think it might be just part of our you know adolescence of misadventure, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, among other things, I think that we already being a survivor of uh, a few different uh, traumas and different experiences and misadventures, mm-hmm. I think that uh, you know we always kind of carried around the model we could die happy mm-hmm. um, you know i I was uh Only married for three weeks when I was diagnosed. So I used to joke around with my managers and tell them, well, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. You must be very happy. This is very romantic. You know, this will be fantastic for you. Mm -hmm. You know, sell a lot of records back then when CDs were still, you know, things that you Mm -hmm. bought. And uh, and so I always use that kind of humor to deflect. But even some of the other women that I spoke with, um, no matter how grave uh, or what they were staged at, um, it just didn't occur to a lot of them that they would perish. Now, since then, in my volunteering, I have met women uh, of all age groups, of all socioeconomic backgrounds who are completely terrified, Damn. terrified mm-hmm. uh, from day one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, can't, I couldn't relate to that. And for me to try and be a good listener, you know, and glean what I can and try and give advice without being patronizing and being too, you know, a little miss positivity, you know, that's been a very big learning curve for me. Mm -hmm. Because when I was a patient, I can't relate to that at all.
0: You know what, that's so interesting, Biff, because in our podcast, we talk about this idea of walking two roads, um, which means hoping for the best and planning for the rest. And it sounds like you're a, a very positive person, you know, you're such a uplifting positive person. Do you find that sometimes this can be a barrier when you do your hospice and palliative care work? I mean, do you ever meet people who want to talk about how scary the situation
2: is? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I find something that I've discovered, uh, just like um, leading a meditation or say, uh, leading a yoga or anything else, it's a completely different part of the brain that it, you're coming from and I find that with um my volunteering I find that I you know it's like it's like that saying read the room mm-hmm. and yeah. so for me I find it very different from patient to patient anyways yeah um and so so far I haven't uh, I haven't really found that I've ever uh, tried to be a little miss awesome uh, in every aspect and it also varies between age groups of Mm -hmm. the patient and also gender is also a factor Mm -hmm. um and yeah it doesn't uh so far I find that I have uh the the thing that has benefited me the most as trying to be a good volunteer Mm -hmm. is to be a good, good good listener yeah.
1: And I think what you said about read the, read the room, it's almost mm-hmm. like as a musician, you've always had to read the audience. And yes. so naturally good at that um, and well-positioned to, to do that for sure.
0: I mean, you've talked a couple times about uh, your volunteering. Do you have any memorable stories of, of your volunteer experiences, things that you have maybe learned along the way or keep you going?
2: Oh gosh. Like there was this one, um, girl who was, uh, she had lots of different setbacks in her cancer journey before she went into palliative care. And, um, she was the most positive person and the funniest human being I had ever met. And she had a lot of friends and family. And she had a husband that she always called her hot husband, you know, even in her, even in her most, uh, most fragile state. Um, at the end of her life, she was hilarious, uh, bringing everyone in the room always to tears of laughter and uh, and it was just remarkable. it was just remarkable. Um, and that was uh, that was something that was uh, really moving to me uh, mm-hmm. how she was just so uh, just it was just unrelenting and I don't think for her. It was forced, you know, even when her, you know, at the, even when her physiology was uh, failing and her breathing was failing, uh, she was still, you know, endeavoring to be quite hilarious. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it was natural for her. And it was uh, a great relief to her family because it was how they knew her. And it was something that for me uh, to, w- to witness that, was just something that will always stay with me forever Uh, it was just unbelievable every patient is different uh, but she will I will always carry that with me
1: you know it reminds me of um, a phenomena that um, I've heard you talk about as well which is you die as you live and uh, the way you approach that chapter of your life is typically no different than the way you've Mm -hmm. approached different challenges in your life. Like you said that even yourself and myself included and CN, we've all had personal challenges. Most people don't escape life without being knocked down a few times. Right. Mm -hmm. And if you look back and ask yourself, uh, how did I cope? What did I do to get through that? What was, work, What worked well? What didn't work well? What part of my personality came forward um, for better or worse? I, we firmly believe that you can almost predict how someone is going to go through a serious illness based on the pattern mm. from their past. Um, mm. And I guess I'm going to ask you a personal thing again, is that based on how you cope, how you have coped with your ups and downs if you had to predict what you're going to be like in that situation what how would you describe
2: yourself and I think that it's going to be a ball (laughs) I know I I do I just do I know it well because it was for my dad yeah was very very funny he had he sang he was a tenor and he was absolutely annoying and he sang every day, even when he was, uh, you know, in the last final days, um, he always sang. And he made, he, he he always made jokes and he was funny. And I know for sure uh, for him, again, like this other girl, it, it, it's not, it wasn't to put on, mm-hmm. it just made him feel good. And it felt good in his body and it felt good in his brain, in his heart. And yes, that is exactly how he lived. and I, know for myself um you know I, I can look back at other hospital stays that i've had that have been um you know lengthy or anything um you know not necessarily all that fun and it's been a ball it has been an absolute ball you know i have fun in the setting i like nurses i have a great time teasing doctors mm-hmm. and uh and i just anticipate you know, I hope that I'm able to keep it consistent and be cognitive enough to be, you know, a, a bit of a, a mischievous patient, because that's funny. And it keeps, it keeps the days fun for everybody. So does that mean that
1: like, uh, clearly you have a high dose of mortality awareness that you appreciate that dying is a part of life? Um, even as a young punk rocker, you said you uh, live hard, die young, whatever it was. Uh, Mm -hmm. I guess there's something protective, by the way, about being a punk rocker that I knew nothing about, but I'll look into that. (laughs) But but so you you accept that dying is part of life, just like going through puberty, just like going through menopause, just like all these other life stages. Um, Mm -hmm. Does that mean you're not scared?
2: No, you know, not at all. But I don't think I've ever had that feeling. And I don't know. uh, You know, I don't know if it's particularly because my parents instilled so many uh, facets of theology into our lives or anything like that. I I don't think it's anything that, you know, um, abstract. Well, I think that just pragmatically. Mm -hmm. I think that that's just how I have always kind of viewed it. I can't say the same is true for my sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, But I know that my mother is the same way. And I know my my dad was the same way.
1: Um, Just really pragmatic. So are you saying that that pragmatism,
2: you are not scared of dying one day? I, I don't think so. And I don't think, you know, I think that people when they, you know, because it is very, um, it's popular to have a fear of death. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes I wonder if it's not really what they're really afraid of is, um, because they're not, they're just not familiar with mm-hmm. the setting. So most people don't want to go to the hospital at all. Yeah. Uh, because they have no experience, you know, God bless, right? If you got no experience of the good. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think that that is a big mystery Mm -hmm. Uh, it's always been enshrouded in mystery for generations. But Mm -hmm. now I believe that it's changing. Mm -hmm. Um, Just with the, uh, like we were talking about earlier, just with social media. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I was in my own treatment, there was no Instagram, there Mm -hmm. were no blogs, Mm -hmm. uh, really. And now there there are just so many resources and different support systems. Mm -hmm. And when many people do go into hospice and palliative care, they video vlog it and they are now on TikTok. And I think that that is going to start, um, you know, in a way, I think it's probably really going to be beneficial mm-hmm. for people who then suddenly get an insight into maybe what that might look like.
1: Have you ever thought about going more public with, you um, you know, raising awareness around serious illness dying death hospice volunteerism death doula support dogs like you have such a a a strong voice um a strong voice for punk punk rock
2: i i hope (laughs) so you know like what you're describing is like this hike for hospice every year Mm -hmm. uh, in ontario and again the pandemic has really thwarted uh a lot of those different things but uh with journey home hospice for example um you know i think that uh, i think that it's remarkable uh what they are able to do and again uh, you know when they started i think they had only four beds Mm -hmm. or something like that i think that there should be one in every city um so it's not just that that patient population of um which is very challenging Mm -hmm. you know many of these Um, unhoused patients don't want to be in the Mm hospice, you know, so there's a lot of outreach involved. And Mm -hmm. I think that would, that's a whole other challenge Mm -hmm. um, for those uh, professionals that are trying to support that population. But I think for sure that there should be uh, lots of uh, different things on things like TikTok and Instagram and, uh, you know, maybe as I go deeper into that um, and, and transition you know, into doing more of that, you know, I would love to. And I also think that, you know, I also believe in journaling and book writing. And I think that, you know, I just think it's interesting. I think that it's interesting uh, work. And uh, what you guys do to me is absolutely fascinating. I never get tired of hearing about it and uh, Mm -hmm. learning more about it. And I think that that's true for a lot of people.
0: It's so interesting because, like, you know, when you think of like your path and your calling, like in some ways, mm-hmm. Sammy and I were. We're, it was our destiny to partner up seven years ago on this because we we actually struggled. We didn't come to this uh, thinking that we had a great idea. We actually came together because we were like, this is not working. We're not making a difference and something's not right. Mm-hmm. And we've worked mm-hmm. together for a long time to really come up with ideas of really what we've done is turn all the education we do for providers and given it to patients and families and saying, this is mm-hmm. information we have that you deserve, that you should have all the way through. Um, mm-hmm. So that's our mission really is to, to get rid of all these structures and barriers to a good mm-hmm. experience. And not just wait till all this good stuff at the end, when you're lucky enough to meet a death doula, like you should have an illness doula all the way through, yes. right? From the start. Yes. That's really what sort of some of the things we're saying. And it not it doesn't only have to be a good experience in a hospice, but the, mm-hmm. the ethos of that should be in every provider all the way through and every patient and family should know how to ask for questions. So that's our mission really. Yes, And what Very we're
2: uh,
0: yeah, <laughs> hoping to do. Yeah. Um. My question was about all these experiences in healthcare and with hospice, has that influenced your music at all? Are any of your songs um, secretly about hospice that I should be uh,
2: listening to not again? Yet. <laughs> not yet. Um, <laughs> but you never know. Yeah, you know, We're still writing a new record, so it's very possible.
0: Well, do you see yourself doing more work and being a death doula in the future?
2: This is an area that I'm very excited to explore as I you know, go deeper. And also with hopefully with the programs coming back uh, now that the pandemic is, uh, you know, starting to be a bit more controlled, I guess. And all these programs are starting to reawaken. uh, I am, you know, looking forward to continuing to pursue that training. I
1: don't understand how you have the time to be so passionate about this and also be a rock star.
2: (laughs) i don't get it i don't know it's it's, i don't know it's just uh it's just it's necessary there aren't enough volunteers yeah and uh and it's just um a a facet and an area of volunteerism that i discovered a long time ago that i was comfortable in Mm -hmm. a lot of people weren't a lot of volunteers were not comfortable Mm -hmm. and i thought well we're needed here so This is the area that I'd like to focus on. And it just became a fashion of mine.
0: Oh, I can see that they're starting to board your plane and you have to go soon. So before you go, I have to ask, what is the best thing about being a rock star?
2: The best thing is um, being able to talk to great people like you and meet people. I love traveling and I love meeting people. So that's the best part of my job for sure.
1: That's incredible. You are a wonderful, incredible, talented, beautiful, caring soul and we are so lucky to have met you. bless your
2: heart. <laughs> well, I hope that we'll be able to talk again and I would I would love to also come on another time and talk to you guys further about the stuff that you do.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean,
2: I think it's very I think it's serendipitous. You know, this is like I do a lot of podcasts. Yeah, as you might imagine, but this is the one that's been in my calendar for months oh, that I we're was honored. so excited to do. Thank you. Virtual Thank you. Safe travels. Thank you. Thank okay you for doing this. Okay. Okay. Bye bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe if you haven't already. You can visit our website, waitingroomrevolution.com, to learn more about our movement. And how you can join in. The podcast is produced by myself, Kayla McMillan, Valerie Bishop, Shopa Jyothi Kumar, and Maggie Seaback. Our theme music is Maypole by Ketsa.